I want to start out this morning uh, not with a joke or a, uh, a comment of any kind. I want to start out this morning just with a heartfelt thank you to the student body. Uh, this a uh, couple weeks ago, uh, just being at the Victory Conference, not on the student side of thing, things, but as a pastor, it was a great encouragement to me uh, just as a pastor coming in and seeing the student body working together as a whole to serve uh, those that came. And I told a couple of my guys at the end of the conference that that was such an encouragement and a refreshment and an oasis to come and be served and, and to be able to sit under the preaching of God's word and have my heart encouraged as we heard together of God's extreme love. And so whether you were just cleaning plates or maybe you were serving food, I want to thank you uh, because it meant a lot. And I was able to, uh, from, from my perspective, the one who's normally responsible for the one who's feeding the flock to be fed myself and just to be encouraged and to be reminded of truths that God needed to work on my heart about. I thank you. And it meant a lot. And, and, and it really did. Uh, it humbled me in many ways, showed me where pride still was and needed to be ripped down. And God humbled me and, and brought me back to a place where I could be used again. And it was because of you. God used you in that way, and I want to thank you. As we start here this morning, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel and chapter number 3. Turn to Daniel and chapter number 3. Throughout the different centuries, there have been men and women that have intentionally chosen to obey God when it didn't make sense to do so. And these people that have had faith in God understood that the world's were framed by the word of God so that the things which were seen were not made of things which do appear. And if you uh, recognize that passage that's coming from Hebrews chapter 11, and later on in verse 6 it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You think about Noah, as he's described in that passage, that he moved with fear, meaning that he moved quickly with obedience towards God to build an ark when the entire world was laughing and mocking at him. He intentionally obeyed God. You think about Abraham and how he was called out to go to a place where he did not know that it should be his inheritance. He intentionally went and stepped out by faith and obeyed God. Elijah, can you imagine putting yourself in Elijah's shoes for a moment as he stepped before a king and said, King, I've prayed, and it's not going to rain for the space of three and a half years. You say, that must have been a hard thing for Elijah to do. One of my favorite uh, Bible characters is Amos. And if you read the book of Amos, you think it's just a, a, pass, a, a bunch of passages of hard preaching. You get to chapter 4. And he starts out, hear this word, ye kind of bashing, you fat, lazy cows. You, you, you need to listen to what God has for you. And then he goes on and gives the word of the Lord. And it isn't until chapter 7 that we start getting to a, a, a passage of narrative where Amaziah the priest comes to him. And, and he says, you can't be preaching here in the king's chapel. You can't be preaching. And Amos, I love Amos's response. He says, I was no prophet. I, I didn't go to prophet school. I didn't go to BCM. I, I, didn't, go, I didn't go to any, any, any college. Uh, my daddy wasn't even a prophet. 
God was the one that called me. God was the one that took me from where I was as a herdman, as a, as a picker of sycamore fruit, and he took me and he put me in and he said, go preach to my people Israel. And you must think, man, that must have been hard. It must have been a hard decision for him to say that to, to Amaziah. It must have been a hard decision for any of those people. You think maybe through the Bible, maybe some of the men or the women that have made hard decisions for Jesus, and you say, that must have been hard for them to do. And now we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 3. The first couple of verses, Nebuchadnezzar has gathered everyone together to, to stand before this image that he has set up. And in verse 4, we follow the narrative. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. What a situation to find yourself in. The fact that if you're not going to worship this image that the king has set up, something that you know is absolutely wrong, you know who the king of kings is, if you're not going to do this, you're going to be facing death. And you may think to yourself, man, that must have been a hard decision. But I would like to take the short time that we have this morning and propose to you that it is easy to say no when you have a greater yes burning on the inside of you. It is easy to say no to disobedience when you've already said yes to God. The title of the message this morning is simply this, Intentional Obedience. Let's pray. Father, would you take your word and would you drive it into the hearts of every single student here? Lord, thank you for the power of your word this morning. Lord, I want to preach good. But more than that, I want you. I want you to work. I want you, Lord, to, to work in my heart. I need you to work in these students' hearts. And Father, we're asking for a holy hush from you upon this, the, the, this meeting here right now. Or would you work in us, Lord, not just about loving you like we've heard, or we've heard much about the extreme love of God, but Lord, we need Christians who will take intentional steps of obedience towards you on what you've shown them to do. So Lord, whatever that is this morning, Lord, I am trusting you to apply your word in Jesus' name. Amen. He was known as the fastest man in Scotland. And as he graduated from high school and entered into college in the early 1920s, Eric Little became known as an excellent athlete. In, in fact, he was so fast that his, his country had chosen him to represent them in the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris, France. And he, Eric had signed up for the 100-meter dash, and that, he was the favorite to win that race. He had raced uh, him and, and another man from Great Britain several times, and so it was going to be close. But he and this other man were both favorites to win both either the, the gold or the silver medals. But although Eric Little was a tremendous athlete, he had something else that was far more important to him than any gold medal. And that was his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Eric Little, as he came in that summer day of 1924 to Paris and, and he started to register, he, he, he started to register only to find out that the time trials or the heats of, of his race, the 100-meter dash, were going to be held on a Sunday. And as they were going to be held on a Sunday, Eric Little had a conviction that far too few Christians have today. And that was that nothing took the place of meeting with God's people on Sunday. Eric Little, under the face of extraordinary pressure from his coach and, and his country, breathing down his neck, decided to drop out of the 100-meter dash in favor of attending the Lord's house on Sunday in the middle of the Olympics. Everybody knew what he had just done. And his coach, knowing that he had been forced out of the 100-meter dash, came up to him and encouraged him to enter into the 400-meter dash, literally four times the amount that he had trained for. He was not qualified to do it. He was not trained to do it. And while 100 meters might take you 10 or 11 seconds to complete, he was, he was looking at over 40 seconds of running. That's if you're an Olympic racer. I don't know if any BCM guy could do that. Uh, but he was looking at this 40-second race that he had not trained for. Everybody in the world knew what Eric Little had just done. The newspapers abounded. Every report came out. Everyone in Scotland and the world knew what this man of faith had chosen to do. And so it goes without saying that when Eric Little stepped into the starting blocks for that 400-meter dash one week later, everyone in the world was watching to see what the outcome would be. And Eric, as little, Eric Little was warming up for that race, an unknown man stepped out of the crowd and, and stepped up to him and handed him a piece of paper. And before Eric Little took off in that race, he opened up that piece of paper, and on it was was written a Bible verse from, from 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30 that said, Them that honor me will I honor. And 47 seconds later, that prophecy was fulfilled as Eric Little crossed the finish line first and claimed the gold medal in the, in the 1924 Olympics in Paris, France. And my friend, you might wonder to yourself, I mean, wasn't that a little bit extreme? Wasn't that hard for him? Wasn't it hard for him to say no to the Olympic Games? I mean, it was just one Sunday. Doesn't God make exceptions for stuff like that? And you may say to yourself, that must have been extremely hard for Eric to say no. And I want to suggest to you this morning, it is easy to say no when you have a greater yes burning on the inside of you. And that man, Eric Little, he went on for over 18 years to serve as a missionary in China and, and died at age 43 from a brain tumor in that country. And I've got news for you this morning. If we were to take Eric Little and now 80 plus years after his death and bring him up here on stage and ask him the question, Eric, wasn't that hard? Wasn't that a hard decision for you to obey God? I, th I think he would say something to the effect of it is a whole lot easier to say no to disobedience when you've already said yes to God when you've already said yes to God. It wasn't an accident that Eric Little was obedient to God. He was intentional about it. He was intentional. You are intentional about a lot of things on a daily basis. Getting ready this morning and driving to school. Some of you drive, some of you walk into school. But getting into school and being here on time in class in your seat, not running in at 759.59 and yelling safe. Okay, that is... 
for all the old schoolers out there. <laughs> all right? But that is not, that's not being intentional. You, you, you want to be there on time, and you were, hopefully, this morning. Uh, I think about training my kids. I have one child, Leland, and my beautiful wife that's here with me this week. And uh, I've got one on the way here in about a month. And when I train my kids, kids don't learn character and godliness just by accident. It takes parents who are following God, who are following the promise, the, the promises of, of God's word, and, and, and following, even in Deuteronomy chapter 6 there, where it talks about giving them the word of God when, when they get up, when, when they lay down, and taking it and being intentional with it so that they do learn the word of God, so that they, they are coming. You, you show me, you, you, show, you, you want a, a, a child who's not bitter against the world, not bitter against the church, not bitter against his family. Show me a man or a woman, a, a dad or a mom who prays. Show me the best thing you can do right now. Some of you might be thinking uh, in the future, I want to get married. Praise the Lord. I, I think every single person in here should aspire and want to get married. But I'm telling you, the best thing you can do right now is learn how to be a man or woman of prayer. Learn how to be men and women that pray. If there's one thing I remember about my dad was that he was intentional with his prayer life. As a little kid, I would get up early, of course, on purpose, just because I wanted to get out of bed, and I would come into the living room, and I'd sneak around the corner from, from the living room into the kitchen to go get a drink of water, okay? Really, I just wanted to be out of bed. But as I, as I went through there, I remember oftentimes, wasn't, he wasn't always perfect, but he, was, he would be there on his knees in the living room on, before the Lord in prayer for our family and this church. Saturday mornings, I knew my dad was going to be busy between the hour of 10 and 11 because he was taking an hour with God that was part of a chain that our church had started, and he was praying specifically for this church, this college, these people to go forward. And I'm telling you, it was those prayers that changed my life and even kept me when I did uh, get bitter towards my parents and towards the Lord it kept me on a path that I knew, I knew down deep. I couldn't justify what I was doing, but I, I knew that my dad was praying for me. We're going to learn from a couple different Bible examples this morning how it is that we can be intentional with our obedience towards God. We've learned, I mean, you've, you look at the banners here, his love to me, his love uh, through me, and we, we've learned about extreme love. But when you know that someone loves you, you can't help but follow them. You can't help but be intentionally obedient towards them. And that's what his love should drive us to do. So starting here in Daniel chapter 3, we know from the context the Hebrew children were not foreigners to seeing God deliver them. They had seen God deliver them multiple times to this, to this point. Uh, in chapter 1, we saw uh, 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 the well-known passage there where they come to the, the uh, king's assistant there. And they are able to eat vegetables and water versus the, the forbidden meat and the drink that the king had given them to eat. And God delivered them. Again, in chapter 2, we see that Daniel and his, and his friends next are on the line unless someone can give the king's dream and his interpretation of it. And, and after a night of prayer, God delivers and he shows Daniel the dream of the king and its interpretation. And God delivers there. But here, you see now in, in chapter 3, will they obey? 
And the first thing I want us to see here this morning is that intentional obedience flows from knowing God and his heart for you. Intentional obedience flows from knowing God and his heart for you. Verse 15. Now, if ye be ready, at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, suckbat, suckbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God, that he shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. That's where we see it right there in the text. They knew who their God was, and they knew what their God's heart was towards, towards them. They knew that he could deliver. Verse 18, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And you're probably familiar with the rest of the passage. These three men were bound in their coats, cast in the midst of the fiery furnace. And because they knew who their God was, and they knew God's heart wanted to deliver them, they were able to be confident in their answer towards the king. It was easy for them to say no to the idol, because they already had a greater yes burning on the inside of them. They had a yes towards God. And my question to you this morning is, do you know God's heart for you? Do you have a desire to know your God's heart and, and what it is towards you? In my junior year of college, uh, honestly, for the first few years of college, I was going through the motions. I was just existing as a college student. And it was really after my junior year I really did want to know God's will for me. And I felt like I was in a fog and I was in darkness. I, I, I wanted to know God's next step for me. When I came and realized God has put me right here in college, that is God's next step for me. I need to be fully surrendered to it. God, okay, I'm going to do that. And now show me the next step. And so that summer, I was working at a landscaping company uh, called Hawks Nursery here in Wauwatosa. And they had me on a, on a crew, a two-person crew, of building decks. And so all day long, I was doing grunt work for a master carpenter. It was just me and him. And we were building a three, ripping down and building a three-story deck. And so that was, that was a job that was going to take probably half the summer. And during that time, I, I truly, my heart was, God, I need to know you. God, I've got a full summer here. I need to know you. Lord, what are some intentional steps that I can, I can do to, 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 to allow you to work in my life? Well, I had to be to work at 6 o'clock in the morning. So I purposed. I said, God, I'm going to be to work, and I'm going to be parked by 5.30 in the morning so that I can spend half an hour uh, reading your word and allowing you to talk to me. Not constantly talking to you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be quiet, and I'm going to allow you to talk to me. And he did. Every single time, every single time, as I got on the work site, I said, Lord, anytime that my master carpenter isn't wanting me to make a cut or carry some wood or do something, I want to know. I just, I just want to know. I want to know if it's real. I want to know what it is to commune with you. 
I want to know what it is to talk to you and you to talk back. I just want to know you. And that's the kind of heart that God responds to every single time. And that summer was one of the best summers of my life, getting to know my God and his heart for me. And when the temptation came, my master carpenter, I, I, I didn't notice but this, but halfway through the project, just his truck was filled with pornography, just, just chuck full of it. And he started offering me some. And I was able to say no with confidence and say, no, I love my Jesus more. And he said, oh, you're too good for that. I said, no, I'm not too good for that. I know my flesh. I know what I'm capable of. I know what I'm capable of without my Jesus. But it's easy to say no when you have a greater yes burning on the inside of you. When you know God, well, when you know your God and you know his heart for you, it's, it's, it's not hard. It's not hard. Do you take time to know your God? I didn't ask if you did your hour with God this morning. I didn't ask if you did, if you, if you went through the motions. I didn't ask if you were just existing. I asked, did you, do you, did you get to know your God this morning? Did you spend time with him, leaning on the everlasting arms that we, we just sang about? Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you take time to get to know him? Every man or woman of God that we remember for, for doing great things first intended to know their God and his heart for them and the people around them, and from that, everything else flowed. I was talking with Pastor Mark Gilmore when he was up in Shono a couple weeks ago, and he was telling me about Chubal Stearns and the, and the great uh, church planting revival that he started. He said it didn't happen by accident. He knew his God. He knew what his God wanted to do, and he went after it. He was intentional about it. He knew what God's heart for that, that region was. Intentional obedience first flows from knowing God and his heart towards you. As we look to our second point, I'd ask you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. As you're turning there, I want you to think of your favorite sport. Your favorite sport. For some of you, that might be football. How many football fans do I have in here? Okay, a few. All right. How about hockey? All right, there's all my Canadians. All right, and some others. Good. Uh, basketball. All right, several basketball. BCM basketball. <laughs> Good. Ah, hey. All right, I thought I was going to have to, like, pause for crickets or something. But today, if you're a basketball fan, starts the beginning of a tournament we like to call March Madness. Okay, how many of you have filled out a bracket already? A couple, okay. All right, I have not yet, but Wisconsin's a three seed, so I think we have a pretty good opportunity. We'll see here. But each one of those games, what makes it great is not just that, not just that there's, uh, you know, they're, they're fighting for their school pride or that there's no overpaid crybabies that are going like this to the refs. It's none of that. It's that those games come down to the wire. They come down so tight, and you get that last second three, and it goes in, and then it gets, it's tied, and they go into another period of play called overtime. What I want us to see from 1 Samuel chapter 13 is that intentional obedience doesn't stop when God requires overtime. 
It doesn't stop when God requires overtime of you. At this moment in the, in the, in the history of King Saul and, and the army of Israel, the Philistines have gathered themselves to, together to attack Israel, and they were closing in on the Hebrews at Gilgal. And some of the Israelites themselves who, that were around Saul had scattered, and they had gone, uh, some of them, to Gad and Gilead, which historically was the high ground. It was a place that, that could be defended a whole lot easier. But Saul wasn't there. Saul had stayed at Gilgal. Why? Why didn't he, why didn't he move the army uh, to that high ground? Well, if you know the context, Saul and Israel had, had come to the Lord and repented and said, God, we want you to be the God that fights our battles once again. We, we were wrong in, in, in saying that we needed a king, but we want you to be the one that fights our battles. So being at Gilgal and waiting was, was what Samuel's instruction to Saul was. In 1 Samuel 10 and verse 8, it says, And thou shalt go, and this is Samuel talking, down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and shew thee what thou shalt do. And now in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 8, we find uh, uh, Saul's response to this. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Some commentators view that, that Saul's disobedience was being that he didn't wait the full seven days. But that's not what scripture says. It says he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel appointed. So it wasn't that he didn't wait. It was when obedience took over time that he lost everything that God had entrusted to him. He, he, did not, he did not follow through when obedience needed overtime. Verse 9, And Saul said, Bring hither the burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, and it came to pass, as soon as he had made the end of an offering, uh, of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? What have you done? This is not what the Lord commanded you to do. And we continue in verse 11. And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. And Saul starts making excuses for why he was disobedient. I want you to notice three things that Saul gives as a reason for disobeying. He says, I saw that the people were scattered from me. I was alone. And the lie that was believed here was everyone is left. Therefore, I must do something courageous towards my reputation and the Lord's reputation to make the people come back. I'm all alone. Everybody's scattered from me. I've got to do something. And we'll come back to that in just a second. The second lie that he believes, thou camest not within the, day, the days appointed. Now, did he say something that was true there? Yes. But what he's saying is it's an excuse because leadership was unreliable. Leadership didn't follow through on what they said they would do. And can I just stop for a moment? You college students, this is one of the biggest mistakes that you can possibly make in your college career is to look at your, release, uh, your leadership and expect them to be perfect and get offended when they're not. 
Can you just take a moment and look at all the different leadership you have around here and all the people that, that truly do care about you? But I'm telling you, they are not perfect. They will never be. And for you to say, man, I, you know, this person, this, this teacher, I, man, they're, they, they want me to do this in dots class and I, I can't do this. And uh, all of these different things that are happening to me. And, and I, don't, I don't know what I should be doing right now, and so therefore I'm going to get offended. And, and use that to justify why I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. The lie that was believed is my sin is justified because my leader did not follow through with what he said he would do or where he said he would be at the time appointed. So, so therefore it somehow justifies. And that is a lie. That is a lie from Satan. Do not get offended by imperfect leadership. The enemy was closing in. This is the third thing that he gives. The Philistines gathered themselves together. And the, what Saul, the, the lie that Saul believed here was that not even God will be able to protect me if I wait any longer. If, this, if, if obedience takes over time, if, if intentional obedience towards God takes over time, God's not going to be able to protect me. I'm all alone here at Gilgal. And so, he, and so he fell into the lies. These lies that Saul believed from the enemy led him to lying to Samuel himself. Verse 12, Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept the commandment which the Lord commanded thee. I want you to notice three things that Samuel says to Saul in, in relation to his disobedience not being intentionally obedient. Thou hast done foolishly. You're a fool for not obeying the Lord. Disobedience towards God, not having that greater yes burning inside of you and saying, I, I think I can flounder. A, a, you know, maybe I'll say yes in that moment. And not having that burning inside of you is the way of the fool. Disobedience is the way of the fool. He says, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord. Now, did he wait the full seven days, yes or no? Yes. So that, what, what is Samuel saying here? He's saying partial obedience does not equal obedience. Partial obedience to God's command equals disobedience, and you are a fool. You missed out, thirdly, you missed out on the blessing that was to be had right here, right now. Samuel says, for now... Would the Lord have established? In this moment, the Lord would have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. We never know those key moments of our life that hinges on it, that hinges, that, that blessings like that hinge on. And, and in this moment, the entire kingdom, I think if Saul would have known that ahead of time, you think he would have had an easier time saying yes. But God doesn't work that way. He wants us to have a heart that's knowing him, that's, that's intentionally obedient to him, and that's going to be faithful when it takes over time. 
disobedience to God does affect the blessings of God that he intends to shower us with in this life. Right now, while you're in school, while you're doing the mundane things of life, God wants to bless you. He wants to be with you. Intentional obedience flows from knowing God's heart for you, knowing God and his heart for you. Intentional obedience doesn't stop when it requires overtime. And last time, lastly, intentional obedience doesn't limit how much God can have from you. Doesn't limit how much God can have from you. Turn to 1 Chronicles in chapter 21. This is where we'll end here this morning. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, David has just sinned against the Lord in numbering the people of Israel. And God told David that he would punish the nation, but God gave David three choices in verse 12 of how he was going to do that. 1 Chronicles chapter 21 in verse 12. He says, either three years famine or three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while that the sword of thine enemies overtaketh thee, or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coasts of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word shall I, I shall bring again to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, verse 13, I am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies. But let me not fall into the hand of men. And David chose, he said, if these are the three choices, if, if, I have to, if I have to choose between famine, being destroyed by my foes, or three days under the sword of the Lord, I am going to choose the Lord because I know my God. I know he's merciful. I know I've sinned. I know that God punishes sin, but I know the mercy of my God. And God told David exactly what to do in verse 18. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. He was supposed to go to Ornan and buy a threshing floor so he could offer a sacrifice. Back in verse 14, we learned that 70,000 people have already died. 70,000 people have already, their lives have already been taken. And now we're introduced to a man named Ornan, a man who is intentionally obedient towards God in allowing God to have whatever he wanted. Whatever he wanted to, to be used of him, he was not going to limit God, uh, what God could have from him. So here in verse 20, we see this obedience in action. And Ornan turned back and saw the angel, and his four sons with him hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David, and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face on to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me this, the place of this threshing floor, that I might build an altar therein unto the Lord, Thou shalt grant it to me for full price, and the plague that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee, and let the Lord thy the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for the burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering. And read the last four words with me. I give it all. I give it all. I'm not going to limit what you want from me. 
my king needs me in this moment, and, and, and God's wrath is upon, is upon my country. I want God's hand to be back on my king and my country. And too often when it comes to obedience in our own life, obedience to God, we know the thing that needs to be done. We know what the step that God is calling us to do. It's not that we're in the dark about God's will for us. We just don't want to do it. We just don't want to surrender to it. We don't want to be intentional with our obedience towards God. And to, to be honest, it really goes back to point number one. We really don't know our God. We really don't know his heart for us. And I'm telling you, students, when you get to know that, that'll change everything. It will change everything in your life. But with thousands of people dying and the king on his doorstep, Ornan was not thinking about whether it was a good idea to sell this piece of property to the king. In fact, he says, take it to thee. I, I don't want any money for it. Take it to thee and let my lord the king do which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for the burnt offerings and the threshing instruments for wood and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. I give it all. And what we need today in, this, in, in our world today as college students is, is, is people, is Christians that will say, I'm going to be intentionally obedient towards knowing my God and giving my all to him. God, take it to thee. Take whatever I have. It's not much. It's not much, but would you take it? I give it all. And when you do that, God will take it and use it and multiply it, just like he did those, those uh, fishes and loaves. Take it to all. T take it all of it. I don't want it. I don't want what this threshing floor can provide me short term. I don't want what this, this passion or this, this dream of basketball can, can provide me short term. In, in, my, in my life as a teenager, I wanted to play basketball and travel the world. And those were my two dreams. I didn't want to go to BCM. That was, that was you know, what other people did. That was what the weird people did. And uh, I, I had my own dreams. I had a, a, a uncle that was connected to, to uh, the University of Wisconsin. So, you know, possibly pulling some strings, I could get on that team. And, and just age-wise, I would have been on that team that would have went to the, the championship against Duke when they went. And I look at the lives of those men now, and they are absolutely wrecked. Absolutely wrecked. And what my life would have been had I chosen not to follow the Lord. And just seeing that, in that split second of saying, God, I want to know you. As I was working that summer, take it all. I give it all to you. That was the moment that God changed my life. And God can do that for you this morning. I want the presence of God back on my king and back on my nation. 70,000 people and more to the hour are dying on my watch. I'm not going to say no. It was easy for him to say no to disobedience. Why? Because Ornan had a greater yes burning on the inside of him.